Well, you all good enough to eat, did you? Yes, sir. The uh, tell you, I love that. Amen. That brisket was to die for. Amen. Some of y'all wasted your time on chicken, man. That brisket was delicious. Amen. Good. Well, uh, let's grab our Bibles uh, real quick. I want you to go back to Psalms 107, where we were a little bit ago. I'm gonna keep on Amen. preaching. Amen. Here. Amen. I'm gonna pick it right up where I left off. The uh, Psalms 107. Am yeah. I on there preaching? You're not on there. If that man's standing looking at you, you're not on. <laughs> did we kill the battery? Did we? No, you're not on. There we go. Sorry about. Pray for power, man. There you go. Now you're. There we are. We on now? You're good. The uh, all right. Well, amen. Well, it is of course uh, a great honor to be with you all again, especially here this afternoon for just a few moments. The uh, pick up, if you will. The uh, just uh, two quick verses. I did, never even intentionally got to them, but I felt like the Lord was leading me this way this afternoon. Look, if you will, at the last verse of chapter 107. Psalms 107, verse number 43. And uh, notice the Bible says, uh, you know, as we've already emphasized four times in this great chapter, the Bible says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Amen. The, uh, notice the Bible says in verse 43, whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand. Look at this closing phrase. Matter of fact, would you read it with me out loud? The loving kindness of the Lord. I said in the end of the service just a few minutes ago that the best things in life are not things. That's right. Guys, I've learned this, and I, I wish I'd learned this lesson many, many years earlier, but I have learned the older I get, really the only thing that matters is people. Yeah. If we're not careful, we get this idea, and I, we've heard this preach throughout our lives Brother Manning about, you know, famous preachers and, you know, their, maybe their church didn't survive after their death or their, you know, their, you know, maybe their ministry went off track and got more contemporary or something. And, of course, we're never glad when that takes place in a church. But I think we're so prone to this. Uh, you know, every time God does something, we want to build a statue. <laughs> every time God does something, we want to, you know, make it a memorial place. Yeah. And uh, you remember when uh, uh, the uh, Peter's on the Mount of Transfiguration, right. yes, sir. he tells the Lord, man, let us build three tabernacles. <laughs> and uh, uh, Peter, I believe he sincerely missed the whole point. This wasn't about Moses and it wasn't about uh, Elijah. This was about Jesus. Amen. If we're going to build anything, it's going to be Jesus gonna, we're going to build it for. But that wasn't the purpose either. Uh, you all know the reason for the transfiguration is God the Father was letting the disciples know that uh, he's been telling you now for three years that he is the Son of God, and I'm going to show you he's the Son of God. I'm going to pull back the curtain. You know, that word transfigured, transformed is the same word we get the word metamorphosis from. And uh, just like a monarch butterfly, it's crawling around on a branch and it's a little old fuzzy worm. And you and I look at it and say that's a caterpillar when actually that might be the technical term, but that ain't a caterpillar. That's a monarch butterfly. But you can't see that monarch butterfly. He's inside there, but he don't look like it yet. When he goes into that cocoon, who he really is comes out on the other side. Amen. And what God the Father was doing at the transfiguration, he was letting the disciples know 
You've walked with him. You've talked with him. But he ain't a man. He is God. Amen. And uh, when John, uh, Peter had that experience, his first thought was, we need, to, we need to build us a tabernacle here. And the truth is, that's not why God let them see it. Every one of them were going to give their lives for the gospel. Yes. Right. Every one of them were going to. And the Lord is letting them know that what you're doing is worth your life for. Amen. Mm. Amen. It is worth your life. Mm. You know, I've tried to be, I'm not probably the best soul winner in the world, but I've tried to be faithful for all of my Christian life to give the gospel out everywhere I go. Yes, sir. I'm involved in weekly organized soul winning visitation at our church. But being a soul winner is not just something you do right. at an organized time at church. Right. 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 Exactly. Right. Being a soul winner is something you do everywhere you go. Amen. Uh, Brother Howells used to tell the story that Brother Ford Porter, the man that uh, the uh, uh, wrote the track, God's Simple Plan of Salvation, Brother Ford Porter said that what we need to be is we need to be Johnny Appleseeds with the gospel. That's good. Uh, everywhere we go, having a leaky basket, just spreading the gospel everywhere we Amen. go. The, uh, uh, I don't know about you, I don't want to just go soul winning. I want to be a soul winner. Yes. Which means I'm on, I'm on call 24-7. That's right. I, I've said this in a lot of churches. Uh, some fundamentalists, only believe, I mean, they'll get in a fight with you over what we would call confrontational evangelism. And uh, not only do I believe in it, I practice it, but I think what some of them do, the reason they're so militant about it, it's the only kind of evangelism they can do. They can't witness anybody that knows them because nobody listens to them. The only people they can witness to are strangers. And while I believe in door-to-door, cold turkey, soul winning, the truth of the matter is the most effective soul winning you'll ever do is somebody you already got an open door to. Somebody you already know. Some, they, they've come to your church. They're, uh, they're a cousin. They're an uncle, an aunt of somebody you know. If you already have a little bit of an open door, you have a much better chance to give them the gospel than someone that's a total stranger. Now, our job is to take the seed, not inspect soil. So we, we have to go everywhere all the time. But, 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 but. It all comes down, we all know that little verse, the love of Christ constraineth us. Yes, you may have heard that preached a lot of different ways. Let me explain to you what I think that verse means. It's sort of like having a garden hose. If you have an old garden hose, especially if I mean you don't have no, enough money to go buy you a nozzle at, at Lowe's or Home Depot, the, you just got an old garden hose, you know that that will have more pressure coming out of it if somehow you can constrict that water. And everybody knows that's the original nozzle right there. That thing right there. You put it on the edge of that hose. Problem is, especially if it's well water, you ain't going to be able to hold there forever because it's, it gets so cold. But you know when you put your thumb over that thing, you make the pressure greater coming out of that water because you've constricted it. When the Bible says the love of Christ constraineth me, that's what it's talking about. When I am overcome and overwhelmed by the love of God, what happened is I can't hold it back, man. They're just, I, I got to tell them, I got to go. I got I to say something because I know how much Jesus loves me. Right. Amen. That's good. True story. I just want to tell you a story. Can you all take a story real quick? The story I'm sharing with you started in May 1872. In May of 1872, a little boy was born to two good Christian parents, people that loved the Lord. It was on the last Sunday of March, 1886, 
14 years after this little boy was born, that he would, well, I think he was just a couple months shy of his 14th birthday. He was actually 13, I think, when he got saved. But he walked an aisle and received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. This little boy's name, now a young teenager's name, was John. John got saved, and uh, John, unlike a lot of young people, never sowed his wild oats. Never got out in the world, never, you know, flirted with the world a little bit. From the moment he got saved, he was serious about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Age of 17, he got called to preach. Three years after he got saved. The uh, immediately, I mean immediately after he got saved, he started door-to-door soul winning. And really in the era that he was from, the most prominent kind of what we would call soul winning was what we would also call today street preaching. He'd stand on a corner and just preach the gospel all day long in the inner city. He actually had a job working uh, the, uh, in a little factory and uh, the, uh, every free minute he had when he wasn't at work, he was on his street corner giving the gospel out, trying to implore people to trust Christ. Well, some very uh, discerning preachers watched his life for a while and they said, some way, somehow, we got to make it where this guy don't have to waste uh, 35, 40 hours a week going to a factory. He's got such a passion for the lost. Let's figure out a way to raise the money so he can just be a soul winner all the time. And sure enough, they had a little missions agency they worked with in the inner city there of London and the, uh, they made him a full-time soul winner. They put him on the payroll. All he did was just win people of the Lord all day long, just stand in the corner and warn people about, about the uh, wrath of God and how they could be saved. Eventually, he became the pastor of a church, and it's, it's a long story, and I'm sk- skipping a lot of the details. He finally would start a church that would later start the church in 1896. That would at one point later in his life would be called... They changed the name of the church and they named it after him. If I could take you to London today, I could take you to the property. This church still bears his name to this day. It's not quite our flavor. It's not quite as independent, narrow-minded, fundamental as we are today, but it's still a gospel preaching, a little more evangelical, but it's still a gospel preaching place a hundred plus years after the church was started. Shortly after the church started, John married a precious Christian lady and uh, the uh, uh, it was a short marriage because of her death she died the uh, 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 as a young woman a young adult woman but before her death God gave John and his precious wife a little girl and they they named her Nana that was her that was her name after his wife's death taking care of a little baby, we can all imagine that that's hard for anyone, but certainly a man, to be left with a child. John got up in his church one Sunday and just told his church that I feel like I've done all I can do. I feel like my my work is done here. And he was probably depressed. That's probably really what was happening. He was overwhelmed with the death of his wife and the care of a child. But D.L. Moody had gotten connected to him and knew him. And Moody actually invited him to come to America and to preach in Chicago. And uh, primarily, the uh, Moody was aware that he was really struggling and uh, thought it might be good. Now, Moody wasn't necessarily trying to get him to resign his church, but that's what he did. He resigned his church and uh, bought passage. 
on an ocean liner, and he and his little nana were going to come to America for, they didn't know how long, he suspected maybe six months or a little longer, and he was just going to try to see if his soul could be, be repaired from the loss of his wife. Well, they boarded this ship the night of April 14, 1912. Who could have ever imagined that the ship that he and Anna had tickets on was the RMS Titanic, the Royal Mail Steamer Titanic, on her maiden voyage. A ship that at least legend says the shipbuilders wrote on her bow underneath the ship. The words would chalk a ship that even God couldn't sink. All the technology of man could come up with for maritime safety was on that ship. First ship ever built large ocean liner that had what was called watertight bulkheads. Which meant if one part of the ship sprung a leak, it wouldn't spread to the other parts of the ship. Except that iceberg, it would hit yeah. punctured one too many bulkheads. Yes, sir. And that's another story for another time. But you know the story. She pulled out of harbor and actually stopped at one more destination before she would begin her maiden voyage across the Atlantic Ocean. On board that luxurious ocean liner were many rich and famous people. There's movies that have been made about the ship. But also on board that ship that night was John Harper and his little Anna. 11.40 p.m is when they scraped on the starboard side of that great vessel the iceberg that would pierce one too many watertight bulkheads and the Titanic began to sink in the Atlantic Ocean. Of course, at the very beginning, no one thought because they believed the height that she would never sink. I know we think we know a lot about this story, but I don't want you to ever forget this part of it. They didn't put this in any Hollywood movies. As soon as it became apparent that the Titanic was going to sink, of course the lifeboats began to be lowered. And we know the story that there weren't enough lifeboats on board. That was intentional because they didn't think she'd ever sink. They were really just decorations. No one ever dreamed they were going to be needed. True story. John Harper, when he realized that the Titanic was not going to make it, took little Nana to a lifeboat. Everyone would have understood if he'd have got in the lifeboat with her. She's only got one parent now. This is what those who were close enough could hear John Harper say to her. He kissed her on the cheek as he put her overboard. And he said, Sweetheart, Papa will see you again someday. Sweetheart, Papa will see you again someday. They lowered the lifeboat. They say as the Titanic began to, the bow of the ship got higher and higher in the air as the, I mean the, the stern as the bow was sinking. People were beginning to fall as the ship's angle got steeper and steeper. And they said John Harper could be heard climbing up the deck saying these words. Women and children and the unsaved to the lifeboats. 
Women and children and the unsaved to the lifeboats. We all know the horrific story. She would eventually succumb to the waves and the Titanic would go under the waves. Unbelievable number. 1,528 people would perish that night. Many of those that were thrust into the water that did not have a chance to get in a lifeboat, many of them had a life raft on or were able to grab some piece of floatsome. This is a true story. They said as soon as the ship disappeared under the waves and hundreds and hundreds of people were clinging to one another into floating pieces of debris, John Harper was swimming to one person after another in that 30-some degree North Atlantic water. I mean frigid water. Hypothermia in 10-15 minute water. He was going from one person to the next asking them if they were ready to meet God. He was being a soul winner as he swam around. Person after person confronted by John Harper bowed their heads, freezing in the water, and asked the Lord Jesus Christ into their heart to save them. Those that were there said it was, it was almost as though he was oblivious to his own plight. Going from one person to the next. Asking them if they'd ever repented, if they'd ever received Christ as their Savior in leading them to pray that sinner's prayer. Amen. One young man was floating on a piece of debris and John Harper came swimming towards him. John Harper got to that debris where that young man was clinging to it. and But of course this time... According to the young man, he was shaking. His teeth were chattering. He said, do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? The young man said, no, sir, I don't. And John Harper said, well, if you don't ask Jesus to save you, you're going to perish and go to hell. The young man didn't respond affirmatively. And so here's what John Harper did. He took off his life jacket and he handed it to the young man. He said, if you don't know for sure you're saved, then you need this more than I do. And he swam away looking for someone else to give the gospel to. A few minutes later, with a life jacket on and clinging to that piece of flotsam, he said, a hand grabbed the flotsam that he was on and he looked and it was John Harper. But this time he was almost mad. He was so close to eternity. And he looked at him one last time and he said, Young man, are you ready to meet God? Forgetting that he'd already talked to him a few minutes ago. And the young man said, I am not ready, but I want to be ready. And that young man prayed and received Jesus Christ as his Savior right there. He said, John Harper turned away and took just a couple of strokes and his head disappeared under the waves. Almost no one would probably know that story. But four years later, in Nova Scotia, at a Titanic survivors meeting, that young man got up and explained how he was in Bible college training to be a preacher of the gospel. 
in how that night in the North Atlantic when the Titanic went to the bottom, a soul winner by the name of John Harper Amen. twice came to his floatsome and sought about the condition of his soul. And he said, I'm not only a preacher of the gospel, but I'm on my way to heaven today. Because somebody loved me enough to worry more about my soul than he was worried about his own life. And that's really what motivates you and I to be soldiers. Is that we care more about someone else's soul than we do about our own life. No one will ever at the judgment seat of Christ say, I wish I'd have spent more time watching TV. <laughs> no one will ever say, I wish I'd have put in more overtime at work. But I'll promise you a whole bunch of us are going to say, I wish I'd have given out more gospel tracts. I wish I'd have talked to more people about Jesus. I don't know about you, and I'm, I'm not trying to get my name in lights. But I wonder when you and I are gone, who's going to tell somebody else? That I'm on my way to heaven because John Jenkins risked his life to make sure my soul was ready to meet God. Let's not just be soul winners today. Right. Let's become soul winners every day. Let's bow our heads in prayer, brother.